a lot of SaaS agencies go pretty hard and outbound to have a team of SDRs yeah. that are paying good money to hit the phones, hit email, etc., which is fine. Outbound's a good motion when you do it right, but then they'll neglect some of the inbound. So they'll probably invest heavily in like paid ads, mm-hmm. whether that's Google paid search. They'll probably hit up the review sites, but they quite often neglect organic search because mm-hmm. they usually think it's too competitive, but that often means they haven't gone niche enough with their keyword targeting and they haven't built out their site effectively. You're listening to the Paris Talks Marketing Podcast, where we interview top marketing leaders at high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. Our goal with this podcast is to cut through the fluff and jargon of digital marketing to reveal what's really working at some of the fastest growing, most successful SaaS companies today. The Paris Talks Marketing Podcast is sponsored by Hop Online, a performance growth marketing agency. If you like this episode and would like to have a similar conversation with someone at our agency, just go to hop.online, H-O-P.online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, let's get into the episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, my guest is Sam Dunning. Sam is the co-owner at WebChoice. He's also the host of a B2B marketing podcast called The Business Growth Show. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, Paris. Thanks for having me on, man. Looking forward to the chat today. My pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So Sam Dunning, essentially, I run a web and SEO agency, webchoiceuk.com. So typically help a lot of B2B tech and B2B service companies that might be frustrated their website isn't generating a steady flow of qualified inbound ops for their sales team. So whether that's of organic search or looking at their website, helping improve the conversion rate and also making sure the leads they get are qualified and ready to speak to sales. And then, like you mentioned, I also run a podcast. So I often interview marketing leaders each week on Business Growth Show and share my own tips across websites and SEO. And in between that, mess around on LinkedIn, posting things on what I've just talked about. And I've got a family. I've got one, two and a half year old. So hands are full with lots of stuff, my friend. Sounds like it. Yeah. We're all messing around on LinkedIn on the side to different degrees. (laughs) For sure. Um, But it sounds very familiar because you're running an agency, you're podcasting and you're messing around on LinkedIn. That's pretty much how I spend most of my days also. (laughs) So let's dive into it because our audience is mostly SaaS companies, B2B SaaS tech. And my sense is that a lot of times they build a nice website, but then over time they start to ignore it. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you think most B2B SaaS websites make and how can they address those? Oh man, there's there's a lot, right? So if we're talking websites only before marketing, I suppose one of the main issues I see, there's two really, and they come Mm -hmm. across design and messaging, Mm -hmm. but both interlink. So a lot of tech companies, SaaS company sites I see, you can go onto their homepage and even after five, 10 seconds of kind of looking at their hero area, their banner area and scrolling through, you're still not quite sure exactly what they do or how Mm -hmm. it's going to help or benefit you or the problem they solve. So they tend to use a lot of jargon, a lot of insider language. So you land on their homepage or their landing page, you're like, yeah, it sounds quite good. I can see that they've won a G2 award. I can see they've got funding. They're saying that they're award-winning, they're cutting edge, but I'm still not sure exactly the problem they fix or how will they help me. So they lack clarity is what Mm -hmm. I'm getting at. They don't clearly say, this is the main problem we fix. This is the benefit we bring. And this is how we're going to improve your business or life and then guide you to take some kind of next step, whether that's learning more, requesting a demo, viewing case study, those kind of things. So that's part of it, lack of clear messaging that's going to resonate for their target audience. And then also design. So a lot of businesses, a lot of companies, especially in tech, 
kind of design the site around what they think looks good, what their team thinks looks awesome, instead of actually going out, talking to their existing clients, their target prospects, and understanding what they really care about, the kind of look and feel they're going for, the main pages on the site that they're actually interested in seeing. I mean, typically B2B buyers want to quickly get an idea that you're going to be able to bring some value to them, want to check an idea for pricing, want to see some proof of results. And then if that checks all the boxes, they're going to want to speak to sales. And those are probably two of the biggest mistakes I see, but happy to dive in deeper. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll add one thing that I notice a lot when I arrive at a SaaS website and I look at these day in and day out. I think there's often a lot of focus on the features of a product, but also a lack of focus on the personas or the use cases. And I think that generally should shift. It is natural to be proud of a product and to want to shout about the great features that it has and to have different, either to have a features page or to dedicate a lot of real estate to what the product can do. But what's missing is the particular use cases that align either with an industry or a particular role in an organization or maybe even a mix of a role and that organization. Do you find that also to be the case? I think it's the problem generally with organizations that sales reps quite often just want to talk about how great their product is. And then sometimes marketers do the same thing and just say, look, oh, we've got all these cutting edge features, this new technology and, and all that jazz. When quite often you'll find problems can resonate better. So if you can start with kind of this is the juicy, this is the bleeding neck frustration, or these are the two or three problems that we fix as mm-hmm. the kind of selling point in your homepage. And then like you say, when you get to dedicated pages on your site, whether that is talking about a specific feature or a specific product within your offering or a demographic that you help, then you can go into the benefits, then you can drill down into the features when you're on that specific page. But going for them first is it just makes you show up like a kind of white dot and a sea of the sameness like all your competitors are doing really because you're just mm-hmm. saying the same things as them rather than drilling down straight away into what prospects are more caring about mm-hmm. yeah and the SaaS websites i'm going to pivot over to seo and i think seo is largely ignored by SaaS webmasters and it's partly because the websites are very small some of them are even one pagers but if not, they're only a handful of main pages. You got the home page and the pricing page, arguably the two most important pages. You might have features pages. You might have use case pages, some mm. other stuff. You may have a blog, hopefully. Mm. But for the most part, because the site isn't that big, people tend to ignore SEO. Is that a mistake? Possibly. Depends mm. on the organization, right? So if we're talking about a SaaS company, if they are creating a new category or in a category that's not mature, then SEO might not be the best fit because people aren't aware of the problem you fix. Perhaps people aren't aware there's a solution to fix it. The chances are they're probably not searching on Google for your offer because they're not aware your sector, your category exists. So in that case, you're probably better off creating content, creating media on the channels your audience hang out, whether that's LinkedIn, YouTube, podcast, elsewhere. But if you're in, the chances are you probably are in a category that's, most businesses anyway are in a category that's got a bit of maturity rather to it. So people are aware that Mm -hmm. there's a problem out there. People are aware that there's a solution to fix it. So in that case, SEO is going to be a big bet. And like you alluded to there, a lot of companies, kind of, especially when they first start, which is fair enough, they just do quite simple sites, like one pages or just have kind of minimal content. But SEO can be kind of super effective. I mean, a lot of SaaS agencies go pretty hard on, especially funded SaaS companies go super hard on outbound. So have a team of SDRs that are paying good money to hit the phones, hit email, et cetera, which is fine. Outbound's a good motion when you do it right but then they'll neglect some of the inbound. So they'll probably invest heavily in like paid ads, Mm -hmm. whether that's Google paid search. They'll probably hit up the review sites like G2, Trustera, et cetera, but they quite often neglect organic search because Mm -hmm. they usually think it's too competitive, but that often means they haven't gone niche enough with their keyword targeting. 
and they haven't built out their site effectively, which we can talk about kind of some quick wins on that. But yeah, common mistakes and not having a detailed enough website, neglecting content, not doing proper keyword research and just going for two generic terms. You run a CRM company, but you're just trying to hit keywords like CRM, CRM company and those kind of things. And it's like not niche, mm-hmm. it's not drilled down enough. But yeah, SEO can be super effective because the chances are people, your target prospects are searching for what you do. You just need to make sure you're showing up for more specific high buying intent mm-hmm. search terms. Yeah. I think there's also a concept of adjacent intent. So it could be that people aren't searching exactly for what you do or the problem that you solve, but they do have the problem and they're searching for something that's adjacent, that it's close enough that even it is worth trying to get that person to come to your website, either through a paid click or an organic click. So to compete on SEO for those adjacent terms. And I think that also there is something to be said there where you can bring people from somewhere in the neighborhood of the intent that's needed over to your side. For sure. Yeah. I mean, the good thing about SEO, right, like you mentioned there, is you can go for high buying intent search terms. So let's say you offered a CRM that was dedicated for the finance company. For finance companies, you could target search terms like CRM for finance or best CRM for finance companies, etc. And that might be super high intent. If someone clicks through, the mm-hmm. chances are if your website does a good job, builds some trust, shares how you help, they're going to convert and request a demo. But likewise, in the middle of the funnel, people might be comparing you to another vendor. So it might be like vendor A versus vendor B. Or they might be trying to learn kind of a bit more into the solution. So that might be mid-funnel. And then right at the top early funnel, they might be looking for like what to consider before investing in CRM or how to mm-hmm. find a CRM for a financial institution or five tips to make sure CRM is like a seamless integration for sales, which could be really early learning stages, but positions your brand as like a thought leader in the space. So there's a lot of ways that SEO can be useful earlier in the sales process. And likewise, it can integrate with other campaigns. So if you're running like demand gen, so maybe you're doing organic content on LinkedIn, if you're running paid ads on LinkedIn, if people are seeing you there, and then likewise, they're seeing you in Google organic search, it's going to just build up your brand, build up your trust levels even more. Yeah, absolutely. One of the struggles that we've had is when we try to go niche in a category. So take the example CRM for finance companies. The issue that we face in these situations is that people are not searching People don't indicate their industry with their search term. So even if someone in the finance industry is looking for a specialized CRM that fits their needs and their workflow, they still wouldn't indicate that in the search term. So it's not really, it's still very difficult to target people by industry in search, either paid search or SEO. And then then you naturally think, well, then we're only left with LinkedIn, industry targeting on LinkedIn. Is there a way around that to sniff out the industry that's associated with the right intent in search? I'm not going to lie to you and say that there is a golden ticket to winning Mm. because ultimately, like you say, it might be that some industries lack a certain amount of search traffic. Some just might not be worth targeting. So you can, as I'm sure you've shared on the the show before, you can use tools, whether it's Ahrefs, SEMrush, Google Keyword Planner to kind of get info on the data, get an understanding of whether some search terms are actually yield the traffic that are worth targeting. But with that said, sometimes the data is not always accurate and it can be that you can target search terms that show up as having hardly any searches a month and then you get onto them and they're actually performing really well. But you want to test like a lot of things, a lot of marketing's experimentation. So it might be that if you are in the CRM space and you hit a certain segment, you do have to do a bit of experimentation. So you might have to go for some more generic terms, whether that's like CRM for small business and things like that, if you are tapping into that. And at the same time, you might want to, let's say you hit two or three industries, you might want to try for manufacturing, for finance, for agriculture, and kind of see if any of those build out dedicated pages for each with the problems you fix and the benefits you provide, provide some useful content on there, some FAQs and all that good stuff. 
if they don't hit as well, yes, you might have to branch out into other channels like you mentioned, whether that's creating content to educate the market on LinkedIn around your area of expertise and the sectors you help. SEO is not necessarily a magic bullet. It's not necessarily going to capture everything. So I often say it needs to be part of a multi-channel strategy with some organic and such. Yeah. I would also add there that the Google Search Console also gives you great data which is, well, looking backwards instead of looking forward. So if you wanted to launch industry-focused pages and you still had some doubts of whether or not there was enough search demand to really justify creating those pages, maybe the keyword research tools wouldn't show you that search demand. But then when, if you launch those pages later, you see that Google's sending a lot of traffic to those pages and you can dig into the actual search queries that are coming out of Google Search Console and then you can determine, well, it looks like there is more demand than we thought. Or maybe you even discover that Google is sending some other different related keywords to that page that you didn't realize. And then yeah. that can lead you to either consolidate pages or create new pages. Yeah, yeah. That's a nice tip. Another one you can do as well is if yourself, if you run the company or your sales team, are getting common questions on a particular issue around mm -hmm. the industry you focus on. So for, let's say, for example, each week you're getting questions like, what's the easiest way to upload data from HubSpot into your CRM or right from Gmail into your CRM? Or if you're getting these questions time in, time out, that's something people want to know. Let's create content for it. Let's create an article page on our website. Maybe let's yeah. create a video around it, a dedicated podcast. If these things are constantly coming up and then if your website can be searched for that because you've got the dedicated article page that's super useful, answers those questions, that's another way you can actually create content that matches demand and search intent. Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea for the search marketers to spend one day a month on customer support calls to get that, hear the voice of the customer? For search marketers? Yeah, so that they can actually hear those questions that are coming back from real customers and problems that they have. And then they mm. can turn those questions into content. I think it's a good idea. I think what you can do is I often say, depending on the size of your organization, right? I mean, you don't necessarily have to get directly on the customer calls. You can either, if you've got the facility, listen to recordings, whether that's yeah. Gong or whatever kind of cool recording software you use, or just get with your sales team. Like you say, spend like a couple hours a month, have some drinks, have some coffees, have some beers, and just say, look, guys, what are the questions that are coming up time and time again on these sales mm -hmm. calls? And the sales team are going to jump in straight away and they'll be like, people are asking this, people are asking this. But also, not just the questions, what are the common objections and frustrations we get? Because if you can address objections like a sales superpower is putting objections at the front front loading objections on a sales call because if you address them yourself and the prospect's not bringing them up and you kind of you, you kind of neutralize yeah you neutralize, you neutralize the, the prospect then at that point right you anticipate and neutralize mm. yeah your website can do the same thing because if your information pages on your website each have faqs that are the most common frustrations and questions you get on that particular category service mm. product or topic you're addressing them before the customer brings them up on a sales call so it might be like, why is this solution so expensive? And then you're addressing that. Or mm -hmm. how long does it take to integrate? Or how do you stack up against competitor B? Or what's the timeline to get results? Like these questions mm -hmm. that customers bring up each week, your sales team will help you address them on your pages, address them on your videos, your podcasts that are integrated into your website. And that way you're saving sales team stress, you're putting customers' minds at ease, and you're actually driving more conversions because you're probably the most helpful piece of content on the, on the web. Mm -hmm. So then Sam, are you saying that that should be the driving force for content creation, the voice of the customer before the keyword research? 
in a word, yes, because they're almost they come together, right? Because these days, it's, it's especially in competitive industries, it's hard to rank. I mean, you can do things like this, the sky, especially for kind of super competitive terms, you can do things like the skyscraper technique, where you check mm -hmm. out certain search terms you want to rank for, see what your competitors are doing on their pages, and then try to one up them in all angles, like yeah. better content, better insights, unique statistics, YouTube summaries, etc. But if you can actually get and handle these things we've just talked about, unique insights around customer questions, objections, frustrations, and address those. And at the same time, put in some good keyword research, you're making sure you're weaving in the necessary search terms, topics, you're building out the website technically to address all those things. So if you can kind of interweave them nicely, it's a win-win really. Mm -hmm. I also have found myself more and more going into the people also ask section in the search results. And oftentimes it's pretty high up on the page. Sometimes it's we have the featured snippet and then the people also ask. And then below that, you've got technically the first ranking result, organic. Now I'm ignoring all the ads, of course. And the people also ask, I think, represent a great opportunity too, because that's prime real estate. And I don't know how you would consider that in terms of ranking, but I, I think that Google is looking for content for those questions. Mm. And if you can answer their customers' questions and problems I think there's a good chance to get in that people also ask a section. Yeah, it's a nice point. I mean, ultimately, if you just try and create content off the top of your own head or the top of your marketing team or your content team's head, it's like your mind is a limited resource. But also going back to what I said at the start, you're kind of designing it around or you're building it around, crafting it around what you think is going to work. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're literally taking the words from your customers, whether that's sales calls, maybe you're active on LinkedIn, you'll quite often see these questions popping up on other people's posts or your own mm -hmm. posts, why not address those? And likewise, you can go to sites like Reddit and Quora to get these kind of intel and these ideas. Why not utilize what your actual prospects are asking? Because the chances are, if it comes up a lot, there's going to be a lot of demand and people are probably searching for that query. Mm -hmm. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P, dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. I have another question for you, Sam, which is I've seen a trend now of LinkedIn posts getting longer and longer, and it almost seems like they're blog posts that have moved from the company blogs into LinkedIn. And I guess there's also a trend that I sense that people are more and more going to LinkedIn, not only to network, but actually to educate themselves and to get answers, mm -hmm. as opposed to going to Google search, which leads them to blogs. Mm -hmm. And do you believe that that is a real trend? And would that make an argument that certain topics ought to be addressed first as LinkedIn posts and then only later expanded into larger blog posts or not even blogged at all? Yeah, I, I, I often argue with Chris Walker on his posts when he says that kind of SEO is dying out almost and mm. people are now using dark social, whether mm. that is kind of social LinkedIn or what other social channels they're on and then going to internal hidden communities like well that's whatsapp groups slack slack hangouts etc now you're right a lot of people do find information they need educate themselves on linkedin because it's a great platform for b2b you can literally connect with a bunch of people in markets and industries you want to learn about 
learn information quick in the feed, whether that's long form text posts, video posts, article posts, image posts, videos, whatever. Yeah. Great, great channel. I do it myself. And I've kind of won business from there. And I often do business with people after I follow them for ages. But the thing to remember is that everyone buys a bit differently. So if you limit yourself to one channel, not only that, but LinkedIn's a rented space. So LinkedIn can change the goalposts as they like to do, change the algorithm. So you're kind of limiting yourself to rented land if we're looking at it from a B2B SaaS perspective. So having multiple lines in different platforms and channels is always smart to build up brand, build up awareness, educate the market, and also most importantly, generate inbound. So LinkedIn, very good channel, completely agree. But people still go to search. Some people will only use LinkedIn, will only use communities. Absolutely right. Might use YouTube, might use podcasts. Mm-hmm. Other people will still use search, whether that is searching a query, searching directly for a type of company or comparing companies. They can use search and whether they're going to click the organic listing, the paid listing, or maybe they'll go to review site because review sites tend to rank mm-hmm. super well, like yeah. G2, Clutch, etc. So people have different buying habits. People research things differently. If you limit yourself to one channel, you're ultimately hamstringing your business, especially if it's a rented channel like LinkedIn or another social channel. So it's always good to have assets you own, whether that is organic search, website, email list, podcast. That way you've got multiple lines in the water. Mm-hmm. Other than blog posts, though, what other types of content can B2B SaaS companies get into a regular habit of producing that can drive that consistent organic growth and also contribute to conversion rate optimization and lead generation? Yeah, yeah. So I guess from the organic side of things, I mean, you want to start with the basics, right? When it comes to mapping out your site. So like you say, a lot of SaaS companies have rather small sites, just a few basic pages to begin with, and then a demo form. So mapping out key pages. So let's say you've kind of done a bit of research into some of the search terms you actually want your website to rank for, whether that's people looking directly for what you do, whether that's people comparing options, whether that's people just trying to learn more about the industry or at the top of the funnel, then you want to make sure your website is a useful resource for those pages. So quite often that means just simply mapping out doing good on-site SEO, on-page SEO. So having a dedicated page for each of the main services you offer, each of the main locations you serve, each of the main demographics you serve, and then making sure those pages follow best practices, addressing the problems you fix, the features, the benefits, having some unique insights, maybe having some case studies, social proof, testimonials, answering those common questions like we talked about. So really making sure they're super useful resources, not necessarily just sales focused, but also building trust, answering questions, and then having that call to action to take the next step. Like you mentioned having our blog section again going to help you rank and all that good mm-hmm. stuff and then in terms of off-page content i mean there's, there's a lot of ways you can go about it in terms of organic seo so even the best if you're going for super competitive terms like there will be in the crm space example even having the best possible content or article pages it might not rank if there's kind of giants you're trying to compete against mm-hmm. so chances are you're going to probably need to build some links because your competitors are doing it and to actually juice up those pages you're probably going to need to build some quality links which is something we've not talked about just yet So there's actually quite a few free ways and lesser known ways that B2B SaaS companies or companies in general can build some decent links. And Mm -hmm. a lot of them are just under your nose. like You're not even thinking about them. So some ways that I often share, one is podcasting, just like we're doing now. So you Mm -hmm. can literally go on to a site like chartable.com, which is a podcast chart site. You can search for the location you want to tap into. You can search for your industry. And then you can view the top 50, 100, 200 podcasts in your sector. You can reach out to the hosts of those shows, organize an interview with them, whether you reach out on LinkedIn, email, however you want to connect with them, give them a quick snapshot into what value you can provide for the show and ask if they're open to having you on. And then if you do that recording, not only does it give you great PR and brand because you're giving value to that audience and that relevant audience in your sector, but then you can often, these hosts will put an article page on their website, like a blog on that dedicated episode. You can ask for a link back to your site. And likewise, maybe they want you to return one, which is fair enough. 
That's mm-hmm. one simple way to build up credibility and get a link to your site. Other techniques. Um, that's that's are, a great one, by the way. I, I love that one. So, so swapping blog post links because these are contextual links to editorial content. And I think these are the most natural looking links to Google as well, endorsing editorial content. It's almost a triple hitter as well, Paris. It's like three benefits to the price of one because you get industry credibility. As long as you're not mm-hmm. talking about how great you are on the podcast, you're actually giving genuine tips and insights mm-hmm. and being helpful. So you get that. Then they'll probably promote the podcast on socials. So you get another boost there mm-hmm. and then you get the link. So it's like evergreen content times three. So really big benefits. Another way is if you've got existing clients, existing contacts, existing partners that are having reputable websites, their website's been around a while, it's got some authority, why not create some content with them? So the chances Mm -hmm. are you've already got a relationship. So hit them up, say, hey guys, do you want to kind of boost your SEO? Let's create an article together on a topic that we're relevant kind of linked to, or let's create a video series together. Like in our case, so we do websites and SEO, maybe we'd hit up like an analytics company like Hotjar or I don't know, a heat map company and just say look do you fancy creating some videos together on talking about the problems we fix educating the market being useful mm-hmm. put out a little video series put some articles together on each other's websites and again a nice kind of good hitting backlink for each other on those those are just a couple quick things that you might not have even thought about that you can kind of get some nice links and also at the same time create some brand and credible content mm-hmm. in your opinion sam are links as powerful in the algorithm today as they were years ago It's a tough one because content can rank without links, especially Mm -hmm. when it's niche and it's more longer tail. So it's not just one or two words search. So when you're going more longer tail, when you're going for more specific queries, like we talked about earlier, like a dedicated segment in the CRM space, chances are if you create super good content, it's well optimized, it's well thought out, it could probably rank. But when you're going Mm -hmm. to more generic terms that are very competitive, like I say, you can have killer content, but the chances are your competitors are going to have big hitting links to their sites from reputable sites. So if you're just trying to put out decent content, probably not going to stand a chance. So that's Mm -hmm. when kind of, in my opinion, anyway, having building some quality backlinks is actually going to help you when it gets more and more competitive. That's when they come more into play. Yeah. Can you help explain to our audience this concept of core web vitals? Core web vitals? Yeah. I can to a certain extent. Um, <laughs> it changes. I mean, the thing is, there's a bunch of things to think about. Some things, quite a big part of it, or a big part of when they first launched the Web Vitals update was things like page speed. So making sure your site loads fast, which some companies like to over-optimize for it, some under-optimize, and some sites are just super slow. And chances are, if your website's slow, it's going to frustrate a prospect and they're going to head to a competitor. So mm-hmm. making sure your website loads smoothly, loads quick, whether that is checking it on a tool like PageSpeed Insights. Common issues are things like having too many animations, having scrolling banners, having heavy videos, heavy images, all that kind of stuff, using too many plugins if you've got a WordPress site. So using tools like PageSpeed Insights, you can literally see how fast your website is on mobile and PC. It gives you a bunch of tweaks and changes, and then you can look to optimize those with your web team. Other things like making sure the website works smoothly on mobile and PC, So a lot of companies are still doing old school responsive design that just Mm -hmm. adapts to devices, but actually going for a mobile first design. So you design separately for mobile and separately for desktop. Mm -hmm. So you can give people an awesome experience no matter what device they open on and mapping it out Mm -hmm. nicely. And then kind of the back end of your site. So if you use a platform CMS like WordPress or another open source, making sure the platform's well-maintained so we're keeping the platform up to date, not using too many plugins to blow out the site, keeping those plugins updated, keeping it secure, using an SSL certificate to keep the HTTPS padlock up. Those are just a few. There is quite a lot of other bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And when, in your work with your clients, how much of the ongoing work 
after upfront audits, how much of the ongoing work do you focus on maintaining the technical foundation of SEO health and hygiene versus helping them to build out content so that they can grow organically? Yeah, so often it depends on what resource they've got in-house. So some companies might have a, larger companies might have a web team that might want to manage the site where we might just give recommendations. So we might just say, look, technically this month, we want to do some updates to the platform where we've reviewed that we need to update, I don't know, the heading tags, the metadata, we need to do some of that, but more to the actual technique, more to the actual kind of structure of the site. Mm -hmm. We might also say, like you say, we need to reshape some plugins, we need to do some speed work, we need to kind of do some mobile work, etc. But yeah, it depends on the facilities that the company has in-house, we'll give some recommendations. But that aside, a lot of it's going to be analysing the content, looking at the structure on-site, making sure the pages on-site are kind of as effective as possible, and then looking at off-page SEO, what are the opportunities that we can do in terms of distributing content, in terms of building some good links, in terms of ramping up the organic positions for some of the target search terms. But yeah, depending on the campaign, if it's like a full campaign end-to-end, so doing their website, doing their links, doing their content, doing their distribution, then we're going to keep an eye on most things. Yeah. When is it the right time or how do you know when it's time to either remove a page or update a page, remove it from Google's index or overhaul it to make it more relevant with old content? Yeah, that's a good question. I suppose like a simple answer is in terms of overhauling. So if you've got pages that were ranking well, i.e. first page, and they've suddenly dropped, it might be that it's time for a refresh. Or likewise, mm-hmm. if you've got old articles in your blog or your resource pages that are maybe a couple of years old, chances are they could do with a freshen up. And quite often with article pages, just by making a few small tweaks, you can actually get them ranking. If it was like top tips for 2020, and then you kind of rename the title, like let's say it was CRM best practices for 2020, and then you rename it to 2022, five hot tips or something like that. And then you freshen Mm -hmm. up the page, like you add a couple more insights. Maybe you add an interview with an industry leader. Maybe you add some more common questions. So you just freshen up a bit with some more relevant, up-to-date content and questions. Those Just doing that sometimes can take it from page two to page one, just by Mm -hmm. adding a new lease of life into existing content. So that's Mm -hmm. a nice way. I don't know if you've got any thoughts in terms of kind of when it's a good time to de-index pages or freshen them up. Yeah, I agree with everything that you just said. Usually the way that we approach this is uh, if a page hasn't received any organic traffic in, I don't know, about a year, zero, and it also doesn't have any links flowing to it, it really has no value in it and it clutters up Google's index. It's kind of indexation bloat. So any pages like that, can I think they can safely be de-indexed and removed entirely. If those pages have links, then you certainly would want to, instead of removing them or deleting, removing the pages from the index, you'd want to redirect them somewhere to preserve the link juice. So you don't want to lose that link juice. And then if the page looks like it has slipped in the rankings, I think what you said is is spot on. I mean, how can we revive this and freshen this up? So let's look at the SERP. Let's see who now ranks for that term or ranks top three or top five and essentially try to build, think about it like a Venn diagram. You know, each of those pages that are ranking top three cover a certain depth of topics. But if you can circle that Venn diagram and cover all that, kind of similar to a skyscraper technique, then you can get back up there. Yeah. Another thing that's mm -hmm. neglected as well is not just the position of the page, but the actual ability of the page to maintain visitors. So also looking at the analytics of the page, what are the bounce rates rates yeah. on this page that we're trying to rank? Are they 60, 78% or higher? Well, they need work because people are going on this page and then jumping off pretty quickly. And that could be because you don't answer the question quick enough. You don't address the query. It might be clickbaity. So the content itself doesn't resonate with the topic. Perhaps it doesn't build trust. It doesn't have social proof. It doesn't have case studies, reviews, et cetera. There's a number of reasons. 
And then the mm-hmm. session time, if people aren't spending much time on the page, i.e. they're only spending a few seconds rather than a few minutes, then how can we improve the quality of the page? What's missing? Do we need to mm-hmm. do some customer interviews? Do we need to talk to our prospects about kind of how they feel this site could be improved? That's a super powerful thing in general. If you can get your existing customers or your target prospects to actually review your website, it adds another layer to your site so you can actually make sure that your content resonates, the message resonates, and they can also, like one of the best things you can ask ideal prospects is, what can we do to improve our website? Like if you can get them to spend five or so, 10 minutes just looking at your site, looking at your homepage headlines, looking at your information pages, and you ask them what's missing. And if they say, well, you've got a pricing page on your site, this is a common issue with B2B SaaS. You've got a pricing page, but it doesn't actually tell me pricing. It says, fill in this form to speak to sales. Hold on, that's not pricing. At the very least, if you don't have A, B, and C rates, then give me a range. Product A from A to B, product B from C to D, product C from D to E, et cetera. It's not a pricing page if it doesn't have pricing and the chances are people are going to bounce off pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So yes, yeah, there's a lot of issues, a lot of things that SaaS companies, B2B companies, tech companies like to hide on their website, which ultimately mm-hmm. need leads to poor quality, unqualified leads getting fed to their sales team, which frustrates yeah. prospects and sales reps. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know that a lot of folks want to empower the salespeople to give them some flexibility, not box them in with a transparent pricing on the website. But buyers are 99% of the time, they're looking for some indication, even if it's not a specific price, as you said, it's a range that, you know, it's typically going to be between A and B to give them some some sense of the investment. Well, these are some great tips, Sam, and you'd probably riff all day on SEO <laughs> and get deeper and deeper into the weeds. And I do miss this stuff a lot myself. As we wrap up here, is there is there anything that you wish that I would have asked you or anything else that you think can benefit our audience? I think we've given some SEO tips. I mean, if you want more, there's plenty on Business Growth Show, my podcast. But in terms of the site, I suppose it's just ultimately, really, really, the main thing I want to draw home is with the SEO tips aside, like building your website as the best resource it can be to prospects. So making sure as soon as someone lands on your website, it loads fast, it loads pretty quickly. It quickly shares what you do, how you help, and then guides people to learn more, whether that's viewing your work, requesting a demo, etc. Then think of it from a B2B buyer's shoes. The chances are, if your homepage has done a good job and done outline those things, it's got some social proof quickly as well, some brands you work with, some case studies, some reviews, then they're probably going to want to check pricing. So they're going to flick to your pricing page. A few best practices for pricing is to, yeah, give a range or share your key plans, then answer some common questions around pricing. Why is it so expensive? How long is integration? What are the common questions? Have some social proof there as well. Also, they probably want to see some proof of results. So whether that's a case study page, client stories, client reviews, etc., They might have questions again around that. So answer those. And then they're going to speak to sales quickly. But they're going to speak to sales on their terms. So give people multiple mm-hmm. options to, be, to speak to sales. Whether that is booking on time on the calendar, email direct, filling out a form, giving you a call. If you can give people multiple ways to speak to sales, they can choose the channel that fits them best whether that is click to call on mobile or booking a demo on desktop, whatever. So think about what your buyers want to see quickly. Address that on your website, because if you don't, your competitors will, and your competitors are simply going to steal your leads. Mm -hmm. Great advice. Sam, thanks very much for being with me today. I really enjoyed the conversation and wish you all the best. Look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.